Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of... What the fuck is this? (laughs) Welcome to Curious. Welcome back. I can't believe that you're here. Honestly, I, I can't believe that anyone's here, including the people that I interview and you beautiful listeners, but I am woo, thankful every single time, every time that I just sort of do a bit of a bit of a deep dive, check out how, how the old show's doing, look at the metrics, at the optics, as, as showbiz people say, and I see the people are listening. You guys are tuning in, or I mean, I don't know if tuning in works with podcasting because it's sort of a radio reference, and I mean, it, it referenced the literal dial tuning of the of the antenna and and the frequency in which the radio waves worked, and this is just digital media on demand. But nevertheless, you guys listen, and oh my dear, that means a lot. Thank you. Uh, I'm recording this intro in the morning, like right as I got out of bed, because I find my my voice has a nice timber to it, and um, you know my voice can go quite high at times. Usually, if I'm ordering food to go, or I'm on a, you know on with customer service, they refer to me as ma'am, and that's just something that I've I've grown to accept, and that's okay. Because my voice kind of sounds like a, it, it's sort of like a husky, raspy, 13-year-old smoker voice. And, and I like it. Yeah, I don't mind it. You know, it's, it's, it's the voice in which I've grown up with. What's going on in the world? Uh, the World Cup. That's interesting, right? I like it. I, you know, I have to act like I'm more interested than I am, but I am interested. I don't know why. I like it. I, I'm i not a huge sports guy, but there's something about about the World Cup, about bringing people together, about it being the world's game, because it really is, let's be honest. I mean, I think I heard a figure once that a regular just sort of soccer game with a popular football club like Manchester or Real Madrid gets as many viewers as the American Super Bowl, just like one a one-off regular season game that's that's a highly watched game the people they love it I find the players are really sharp I'm in I'm in awe of their haircuts I just think they look cool they all look kind of like you know athletes slash assassins and yeah I'm I'm jealous I am jealous uh Today's episode is a young man, a young actor, a young, a young person named Tony Revolori, who is a good buddy of mine. You would know Tony from the Grand Budapest Hotel, just a, you know, a little movie with every famous person ever in it, where he played the lobby boy, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, where he plays a pivotal character, because I have seen the movie. I've seen that movie, and he plays an important one. Uh, He was also in Dope. Such a talented guy, and just uh, a good dude. And and I love him very much. We made a movie together called Take the Ten for Netflix, which you can watch now. You can make this a Josh Peck day. 
You know, listen to the pod, get home, throw it on. It's a fun comedic romp uh, written and directed by my buddy Chester. So enjoy it. Here's Tony. Okay, bye. I just I feel like people want to hear my rambling. Don't start a podcast because it's gonna threaten me. I mean I'm not gonna start it though. I mean if you like, start one and then every actor starts one, it's gonna be bad. What what makes me special? What makes you special is everything. I'm ready. Keep going. Don't worry. The mics are hot. You can just go. What makes you special, Josh? Just start Pat, it now. People are gonna love this. Is the name? Okay. You, you're Josh fucking Peck. The stories you have in your head are endless and priceless. Go on. Your, your physical regimen wow. to keep fit is something I think should be shared with the world it's as I, in, in encouragement. It's because I eat like a pig. <laughs> so do I. I have That's no why. choice. See, I, 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 I wish I'd gotten fat mm. instead of sick. Because I got sick. I ate like shit, and now now I got like high cholesterol and a bunch of like terrible like health problems. Do you have high cholesterol? I have massive high cholesterol. So do I. Oh, do you really? Okay, does this mean to be Yeah, closer? you could take it out. Whatever is just Ooh, okay. keep it kind of close-ish to you, but whatever gotcha, is gotcha. comfortable. But, um, um, what's your cholesterol? Let's compare and contrast. Uh, I think it was... I have no idea, but it was, it was like really high. Over 200? Yes. Sick. It's like a batting average. <laughs> it's like and I did my. I, so I, I I remember it was New Year's this year. Hold on one second. I'm gonna turn sure. you down a little bit. Cause um, I'm loud. No, you're allowed. Here, go. Give me a little um, te- test. Little test. One, two, three. Hello, baby, Joshua Peck. Okay. Um, I'm very. You know, I'm the audio engineer for this yeah. podcast. No, no, it's great. It's a. It's a. DIY. Do it yourself? Yeah, DIY. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think that sounds really good. Okay, great. Good. Enjoy that, listeners. To Shua Peck at 103.5. The sound. I like that. Yeah. I think it might be copyrighted, but, you know, we'll figure out a different (laughs) one for you. I always wanted to be like... You're listening to 88.1 The Coast. Shit, that's great. Los Angeles, California. It's going to be a high of 68 degrees today. See, in my mind, I've always wanted to be a radio DJ after seeing Good Morning Vietnam. Okay. Because, I mean, that's like the quintessential radio movie besides like pirate radio. But, but like, do you want to be Robin Williams doing it? You know, of course, of course, <laughs> I want to be Robin Williams, like is screaming at the top. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> I would like. I think I'd like. Yeah, I. You know what I mean? I feel like the radio, those zookeepers, right? Who'd be like, "Well, we're back." Yeah. That was another cutoff of Katy Perry's new album, and wow, <laughs> it's great. Now coming at you with two hot tickets for yeah. Coachella. Dab it with me. <laughs> and that was yet another track from Bruno. It's not Mercury, it's Bruno Mars. Jeez. It's always with the stupid puns because they can't come up with anything better. Well, what happens is, and Howard Stern always does this, is the real talent of a you know radio DJ, zookeeper, is that when he plays the album, you've got to get out all the information right before the song starts. Oh. So it's got to be like... So if you're playing Bruno Mars, it would be something right. like, 
Bruno Mars is a young guy from Hawaii. Who knew he'd have such an incredible career? This is a new cutoff off his album called um, I Like It Like That. And then, boom. Oh, wow. I got a condo in my Yeah, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you go into it. See, I could never do that. Right, I'd that's like, what I like. Yo, this is, a, this, is a, this is Bruno Mars. Enjoy. I don't remember the song title name, but uh, uh, it's a good one. Enjoy. You can well. You could also be the NPR guy, like very Hello. subdued. Hi, this is one time I went to the <laughs> store. Everyone would be like, "Fuck, man!" I respect those guys, though. Do you really? I respect anyone who doesn't feel the need to overly entertain because of their deep-seated insecurity. No, no, no. I got massive deep-seated insecurities. <laughs> I need here. to. Yeah, right. That's why we're friends. Yeah, yeah. It's why we vibe. It's we're trying to entertain each other, and then we out-entertain each other, and then we're like, oh, fuck, I got to beat him. No, I got to beat him. Well, then it's exhausting. Yeah. You know? Because it's, it's like a Jim Carrey and, what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones in that Batman movie. Where right. Tommy Lee Jones tried to outdo Jim Carrey, which is like, why? Also, yeah, like, no. your character doesn't need to. And I find, like, it, I mean, I used to do this when I was single with girls especially, where I'd go on such a good run and I'd feel so damn entertaining and I'd be completely depleted of everything that I had that I'd yeah. want to disappear. I'd be like, listen, I trust me, yeah. I got nothing else. You don't want to be around me. this. Yeah, 100%. I'll see you in three to seven days. <laughs> Allow me to recharge, you know, the old comedy 100%. batteries. See, I'm single, so I'm, I'm burning myself out now. Yeah. I do that constantly, you know. I'll like and I'm very romantic, so I try very very hard to 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 woo a girl, mm. you know. I try to be that romantic person cuz I feel like every girl deserves that every meeting a guy tries for this to be the happy end ever after cuz I want my happy ever after. But, you know, it never ends up working. Like 3 3 like 3 hours later you're like I'm burnt out. I don't like you anymore, but I've tried so hard. And the worst is when they're like, "Oh, I'm still into it." Like, "Why are you leaving?" I'm like, "Cuz I'm no longer into you." Do you go in heavy? I go in heavy. Okay. But but the thing is with me is I flirt with everyone. I'm I'm complimentary with everyone. Mm. So if I'm actually flirting with you, I actually kind of pull back. Right. But if, if I'm like just being a charming, natural self, then I, it's not really flirting. That's just me being me. Right. But a lot of girls and guys get confused. And I'm like, nope, just being nice. I've been hit on by my fair share of dudes. And I just find it incredibly flattering. I do too. But again, like, you know, it's scarce. You know, you get it maybe once a month or once a week. You're getting hit on by a dude once a month? Maybe. Good if I go to the you. right places. I'm lucky if I get it every 18 months. <laughs> Hey, in Palm listen, Springs. just call me. I'll come in on you every day. I mean, first of all, thank you. But I, uh, you know, it's, I feel like I really want to talk about your cholesterol. Yeah, I know. How <laughs> we've like gone from cholesterol all the way to hitting on girls. Well, I find, you know, I'm, I too, I'm a little bit, I'm not a little bit, I'm 10 years your senior, sir. Oh, jeez. So jeez. It, yeah, I'm 31. Fuck. You're 21. You look so young. I know. It's weird. It's I mean, great. it's great. Yeah. It's great. You could still play a high schooler. I don't know about that. It'd be weird. <laughs> yeah. On the CW. CW, what's up? <laughs> I um, get, a, get a superhero show there. Like, uh, you could be the, the, the Flash Jr. Oh, I suppose I would say <laughs> yes to that if I was so offered. Right? I mean, it's like it, CW. Hit Josh up. It's either that or like the eighth neurotic Jewy lead on like the next, you know, NBC sitcom. <laughs> That's pretty much my wheelhouse. Which everyone seems to be getting that same. Every. 
It seems every billboard I pass on the street for every new NBC, ABC, all these new shows look exactly the same. It's a, it's definitely a product. They produce something that people are used to. Right. Like, but like, and, and I feel like Marvel did it too, uh, being a part of Marvel. It was like, but, but now they're trying to differentiate and differentiate. That word? Probably. Sure. Um, but they're trying to, to, to be different, like adding different things. Thor Ragnarok is something. Black Panther is something different. Right. But I feel like now all these network shows are just like, let's just make the same exact thing with different people and just a slight twist and ha-ha. It's like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's funny you mention that because I was going to ask you that. And, and I think you're right with Black Panther and Thor that they've really figured out a way to sort of reinvent the medium in a yeah. respect but it was getting to a certain point where i was like i don't know who's directing these things like it, it like it I was sort like of a factory they do all their movies are great but like doctor strange i think is the one where i was like okay this is like kind of paint by numbers slightly mm. and i started feeling that way say ant-man-esque and again they're fantastic movies but I, I started to feel the fatigue of it, and they invigorated it by bringing, you know, a Taika Waititi, uh, uh, Ryan Coogler, uh, John Watts in, in Spider-Man, you know, and letting them bring something new to it. So it wasn't just the formulaic thing, which it's still there, but it's the formulaic something with something else, with a heist movie, mm. with a... You know, Thor Ragnarok was a, like a through-and-through through comedy. Right. Like making fun of it all, and 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 Spider Man had like a John Hughes feel, so it's like now they're like, okay, we can't just make a Marvel movie. We have to make it, but with something else. It has to be something new, and of course now, everyone's gonna go see Infinity War, and that doesn't need to be anything but that because oh yeah, everyone's gonna be like, oh my god, Captain America for the viewers. I'm do I'm making a uh, uh, or listeners. I'm making a, a really masturbation session. A tasteful jerk off. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, sort of gesture. Yeah, sure. But do you think you know? I I was thinking about it because you know I was I was doing my research about you earlier. Because oh, it's kind of interviewer shit. I am. Um, <laughs> people are gonna be like, I thought they were friends. He doesn't fucking know anything about him. He doesn't. <laughs> Josh knows nothing about me. I you know I, what I found interesting is guys like John Watts and what have you is that you know his work up until that point he had done some really good small yes. character driven movies but you wouldn't necessarily look at that and go he's ready for a hundred million dollar plus franchise yeah. but it seems like Marvel sort of they know what they're great at and so they cultivate these directors who are great at story and character and they 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 trust in their directors. I think more so now because and, – and with John Watts' situation, Spider-Man's still technically owned by Sony. So we have that little bit of, you know, things and boring talks I, I can go into and stuff like that even though I don't really know the exact specifics of, of contracts and things like that. But, you know, <clears throat> I think what's great about Marvel now is is they truly let their directors bring their own flavor – Right. Bring their own scripts, uh, 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 and it, it all comes, I think, from the script. You know, uh, Spider-Man script was written by John Francis Daly, and 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 fuck, what was the other guy's name? Someone great, I'm sure. Someone great. Yeah, uh, it was like I think the kid in in Freaks and Geeks. Um, Isn't that John Francis Daly? It, it, it that is John, I but it's the him. other one. John but is he Warner. happy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he directed Game Night, which was great. He's I liked it. it. 
I like, and now he's doing the Flash movie. I think. He's, but is he happy? That's what I. Let's get down listen, to brass tacks. As, as child actors, we can delve into his <laughs> mind. Yeah, too deep, probably. Too, oh Jesus Christ! You know, it's funny. I was years ago. I was having dinner uh, with Vincent D'Onofrio because I, I have famous oh, friends. Oh wow! Wow! Let <laughs> me just pick just pick, pick up that, that name, name drop yeah. off the floor. No, it was random, and I was just someone's plus one. <laughs> but he was lovely and so nice of him to have me to his home, and and he was working on Daredevil, and he sort of mentioned something yeah. to that effect, which was. Marvel knows that when it comes to action and, and capturing that sort of thing, they have a team. They know. it's So all the action is done up. Like by the time the director is like, oh, oh, the script's written, we've already prevised everything. Like you can maybe have them say a line here and there, but like our stunt people, our camera people, they know exactly what needs to be done. You don't even need to be on set. They've created it they've, already. They've already it's done it. It's literally a second unit almost. 100%. And, and, and certain directors can come in and be like, yo, I'm, I'm, like, I'm feeling something like different. You know, Can we make it more like Ryan Coogler? If, if you see his fight scenes, you know, they're more one takes uh, uh, as opposed to like the usual Marvel 20 cuts and the things like that. Mm. And, who's... and that was his, his like, you know, kind of uh, I- injection into the fight scene. So they have some say. But for the most part, these guys know how to do it and will do it to a T. And who's creating these fight scenes? Is it the stunt coordinator? Is it, it it's a mix do of they have a special name they, like they have the like guru a, 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 on a set? Second unit. Sensei. A se- yeah. <laughs> our our senseis. They have a second unit that they mostly do all of the fight scenes and all the like heavy stunt things that take time to do like Four hours to set up in between takes because it's a really like Aren't I remember those great those four hour setups those four oh god I hate <laughs> them so much but I so we had we had three Spider Man people and I remember one of them we'd call him Crash Dummy Dave because he would do everything that would just hurt anybody right like he would do like him getting ratchet into a wall and be like actually getting hit that would be him and there's a scene in Spider Man. Where the bus like tumbles over after Bokeem Woodbrand. I don't know his character's name. That's terrible. I'm sure he, people out there do. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. He punches the bus and it spins around. And they actually set a bus and had it tumble around. And they put him in there, no wires, no nothing, and just had him like bounce. But that setup time was terrible. And so they knew they were going to use that shot, but John didn't need to be there. But they love... You know, stuntmen especially are built like no other people on this earth. And yes. they are specific creatures. And I am yeah. so in awe and indebted to them. And I don't have any, look, like much respect to Tom Cruise because he's the man. And who sure. am I to yeah. talk? Of course he is. But like I saw Homeboy break his ankle on that Mission Impossible stunt. I'm like, you wouldn't catch me doing that. <laughs> Hell no. Because I already know, like, I'm not built for physicality. I'm, no. I'm built for jokes. I'm a theater guy. You know what I mean? I suck at sports. And so I know that these guys with the right, you know, curly, dark haired wig on. Right. You, they, could, they could be you. With my, my, my chubby fit body type. You're pretty fit. Like, Thank you. Like, don't take that away from you. you. I've seen you in the gym. You work out. But like, no here, big here's deal. the thing. But they, you, they you kill did. it. But how much, of, I, I'm curious, how much of your own stunts did you do on Red Dawn? 
Okay, so it's funny you say that with Red Dawn. Like, I had a guy. His name was Craig Baxley Jr., and he came from a stunt family. He's Great. royalty. Ooh, Craig. And besides just being, you know, what I love, where I find I fall in love when I'm working on a movie or television show, is that the the crew is, you know, they're like a can of corn. They're like real... Yeah. They're real people. Like, because when you think about the people that it takes to make a movie work, it's it's Millions. physical labor people yeah. working hard, insane hours, willing to be away from their family. And these guys are salt of the earth people, the men and women. And so of course. I find that I always fall in love with with the crew and, and the stunt guys Likewise. especially. Because they're they're real life superheroes. I remember Craig, they created this scene where I had to run through a plate glass window that I just shot out with a AK-47. Great. Beautiful. No big deal. I'm yeah, Josh yeah. from Drake and Josh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I voted to not do that one. Pussy. Craig's like, I got this shit. <laughs> He's like, ain't no thing. He's like, word, just tell me where to shoot. So they have safety glass. Um, right. And the whole idea behind behind going through glass is they explode it a millisecond before you go through it. So yeah, then yeah, yeah. it shatters and then you can go through. He ran through it like a G. He's fine. You know, like I literally, I have to do a running scene and I'm like, ouch, my quad. (laughs) And I look at Craig and he has hundreds of micro cuts all over his face, his body. And it just ain't shit to him. And he's like, well, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's safety glass, but it's, it's glass. (laughs) Yeah. There's glass in the name. Oh, see. And how, why would they even ask you to do that if they knew the potential of, of that was p- possible. Well, like, because, you know, the thing is, you're Josh Beck. Like, you don't want to ruin that pretty face. Thank you. That's what I try you know to get I mean? across to these people. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there is a level of, and I don't know how it was with Spider-Man, but especially... I didn't do any stunts. Respect. Because they, I mean, they make But also, it, like, my character didn't do any stunts. But there are like, professionals that make it look so much better than we could. Oh, 100%. You know? There was one stunt that I'm, I'm so sad wasn't in it. We, we had a stunt where Spider-Man lands on my car. You know, he's like, give me your car. And it was terrifying already because I had to land. He was hanging a good story apart from the car. And so he was landing on the hood of the car, actually dropping from like one story higher. They had him on a crane that he was holding onto. And if I missed that mark, he would go through the windshield. He would go onto the floor. So I had to like land it perfectly. And I was terrified. And obviously you couldn't do a stunt double because you were seeing my face as I like went up. So I did it a couple times. It messed up, whatever. Finally got it right. You see that in the movie. But then the continued scene was he picks me and my date up and she was a stunt girl. So that's why they got her because she was an actual stunt person. He picks us up, throws us and webs us to a, a, a like a lamppost or something. Mm. <clears throat> And they, I was like, I want to do that scene. I want them to, like, pick me up out of the car, throw me, and, like, be webbed to a wall. But they were like, no, it's going to cost too much money. I was like, you fucking dicks. That's great. But I've done a couple of stunts on on Budapest. I did a falling out of the window stunt, a lot of running gags, uh, climbing gags, like, little things, like, little physical things. But the one that I was terrified of was I had to like hang out over a window and look down. And they built this thing probably, I want to say, four feet wide. So I had to literally lie on my stomach and lean my body out. And they had a a, a grip who 
held onto my pants so I wouldn't fall over because I would have. So I was like terrified because I was, I don't know, seven feet, seven stories high looking down at a camera. It was terrifying. I remember you talking about your, your crash test dummy buddy. I, is that right? Crash Dave? Crash dummy Dave. Yeah. Crash dummy Dave. I remember, you know, the director of Red Dawn was this incredibly famous stunt coordinator, second unit director named Dan Bradley. Dope. And he had created the scene in adaptation where Nick Cage gets ejected out of the front, you know, windshield of a car. Oh, wow. And lands okay. on the ground. So they set it up and they're ratcheting the car and they've got the guy. They're going to put the window in in post with CGI. Great. So they've got just basically an open windshield. They've got the stunt performer on a ratchet. So Ooh. basically the car's going to land and he's going to get pulled out with thousands of pounds of force right onto the ground, no pad. So he gets ripped out. He goes fine. He hits the ground. It's incredible. It looks so good. And Dan goes, let's watch it back. So he watches it back and he's looking and he assumes because, you know. Yeah. Directors have to have many hats. Perhaps right. they're, you know, phys uh, physicists. Right. He's like, you know, the, the nature of this, the way you flew out of the car, you really, you wouldn't be able to save yourself in any way, like to brace your fall. You would just sort no. of hit the ground. Oh, my God. And if you look at the playback, you kind of put your hands out right as you're about to hit the ground. I think we should do it again. No. And they did it again. And he wasn't allowed to save himself. And it looked incredible. And... But I'm sure that man has a lot of aches and pains when he wakes up now, but it's immortalized in cinema forever. Forever, right? Yeah. It, same with that like girl so who fell through the the window in, in Back to the Future, right? You know, it's like all these stunt people who've done like incredible things and incredible stunts. The the the, the girl who got ran over in Identity Thief, the Melissa McCarthy, yeah, and like cracked her skull open or something. But they're just ready. They're built they're, for it. They're, they're ready They're tougher for it. than me. I wait. can't do it. Let's get back to your cholesterol. Okay, let's get back to my cholesterol. Is it? <laughs> I were, Listen, I'm 31, and God knows I've had my foray into overeating during my entire yeah. teenage years. Yeah. I want, is, it, is, it a, is it a, I don't want to overly gener, generalize, but I have a few Latin friends who've got the high cholesterol. Yeah. I've got a couple Jewish friends with the high cholesterol. Is it, it might be a thing. Are we predisposed? I, I feel like the foods we eat. Like, right. Like definitely, definitely, it, it is definitely genetic because I've had high cholesterol. Like it wasn't that <laughs> I high, love this. but I've had high cholesterol since I was like a good nine years old. I'm and such I would a Jew that I love cholesterol talk. <laughs> next, was, next we'll get into how well your thyroid's functioning. I've, I mean, like, the thing is, I, it, was, it was my dad, you know? Like, we, and we ate healthy. It wasn't that we ate bad. I just, like, it was a genetic thing. And, you know, I ate a burger a little too much. But, you know, a burger's my favorite food. Don't judge me. You gotta live, baby. Um, you like, don't have any other If I could vices. eat a burger a day, I would. Like, 1,000%. Well, let's go back, right? So, yeah. let's, so, so let's start at the beginning. Where your parents are from Guatemala. Parents are from Guatemala. Uh, both came over to the States. When? My dad was 21, and he was born in 52. Okay, so this is the uh, 70s. This is 70s. Yeah, yeah. He came later, and my, my mom came 10 years later okay. after they were married. And so dad came to scope it out. Start dad working. came to scope it out, became a college graduate, first in our family to ever graduate college. Where did he graduate? Uh, Cal State Fullerton. No big deal. No big deal, but right. you know, just like he's a, he's a fancy, smart guy. Um, Artist, scientist, business. What? He was studying to be a doctor. 
wow. had migraine headaches since he was a kid and he was he was applying to be a surgeon and they said no you can't be a surgeon because your we tested your migraines they come on without any warning so if you're going into a surgery and you just suddenly have a migraine and kill a patient that's a huge liability so you cannot do it here's a, a biology degree to say sorry for your troubles wow. and then he got like a foreign language degree so he has like two bachelor's degrees and then he became an income tax preparer so an academic yeah all right and he would eat kind of like he was he was a guy who worked out every day and then as, like, my brother and I were born, I noticed, you know, as we went on, he would, like, sit in his job. There was this, my favorite restaurant in the world, which is in Anaheim, called Varsity Burgers on Harbor and Lincoln, was right across the street from my dad's work. So my brother and I would cross the street every day and get, like, chicken nuggets and fries. Oh, yeah. And burgers, and we would get him a burger, and we would eat it constantly. When you'd eat without <clears throat> regret. Yeah, yeah. Remember and those we were, days? Oh, man. And we were kids. Like, nothing happened. And we would run it off in school, so it'd be fine and whatever. See, I didn't run it off. That was the problem. <laughs> no, like, my dad put us in soccer, obviously, because I'm brown. Um, and He was like, I know what he'll be good at. <laughs> I know what'll be good for you guys. Soccer. And, and what was growing up, to your yeah. quoting you, being brown in Orange County, which is pretty, you know, white. It, it was it was it was very Republican, but there were area pockets of it that were very Hispanic, mm. and so where I lived was very Hispanic neighborhood, so it was fine, you know. Like I had I had my cousins who lived down the street from me, and they would always come over, and it was it was nice. The the eatery of like home food is where it kind of gets messed up because home cooked meals are always like red meat and tacos with a bunch of corn tortillas that are thick. Maybe you get some pico de gallo for like a little bit of flavor, but then you get like chorizo, which is like really terrible for cholesterol, or chicharron, which is like fried pork fat. It seems as though anything with a ch before it yeah. is bad for your like, is churro, yeah. churro, chicharron. Oh man, I love churros. Chorizo, <laughs> fuck man. Bad. I could I could down like I go to Costco to get my churros because that's the only place I know gets good churros. Costco is an underrated eatery. One hundred percent. The restaurant is outstanding. The, the pizza there is amazing. Seven hundred and eighty calories per slice. Fuck. I know they've just started to actually advertise it on you know the signs. Yeah. And Which I mean, tough. it's like it's it's tough, but it's also it like doesn't they give stop you, me. No, no, but not it is. At all. But I think twice. No, no. Let I me ask you anyway. this: Are you are you a thick pizza guy or like a thin crust? All right, we're gonna get personal. Um, I'm sorry, because I'll tell you my thing. I like thick. I'll go to like Little Caesars because it's thick, and I'm like, give me that thick. I don't want that fucking thin ass, no bread. Fuck that shit. You give go me to Little thick. Caesars because you're ghetto fabulous at heart. One hundred percent. As am I. And <laughs> when you walk into Little Caesars, first of all, you get hit with this smell that I don't know what it is. It's like a mix of flour and, and sauce and like de depravity. Or one hundred percent. And when you see that you can have a pizza In ready five seconds that moment. For $5, and they literally just pull it out of this, like, massive oven. I'm done. And you're ready to go. I'm done. It's great. Oh, give it to me. Yeah. 100. My, and, and I have an older brother, Mario, and he's like, we live in Studio City, so there's Reno Pizza there, which is good. Yeah, it's, art, it's great artisanal. Food. Yeah. Private And he's places. like, God, I always want to go to, like, Reno's instead of Little Caesar's. Like, fuck, you always want to go to Little Caesar's? I'm like, yeah, because it's thick, it's juicy, and it fits in my belly. I just love that your idea of thick pizza is Little Caesars. I mean, like, listen, most people would be like Chicago style. Jordan. I mean, for sure. <laughs> I've been to Chicago, and that is definitely thick pizza. Yeah. But like, if you want to get thick pizza fast, like out of all the quick pizzas you can get, the 
Domino's, Papa John's, yada yadas, mm. Little Caesars is the quickest and the thickest. I like that. We all make choices. I like my pizza like I like my women. We have preferences. Thick and quick. Is that true? No. Jesus. Well, I mean, listen, Tony likes them big, Tony likes them small, Tony likes them all. Well, let's talk more about that. I don't discriminate. I find that fascinating. I, I, don't, I don't discriminate. I used to always say that because my wife or people would ask me, like, what kind of, like, you know, what kind, do you have a type? And I always would respond, I am such a fan of the gender, the female yeah, gender. I'm, and I'm good. I just want experience and be it with someone Likewise. who's a little older, a little younger, younger different body out. types, yeah. different oh, yeah. personal ethnicities. Let's go. Yeah, man. And I hate the people. I always like, I know this girl. I won't name her. I won't oh, say God. anything. I, this part's going to get us in trouble. I know. <laughs> We're going to have to edit all this out. But whatever. Oh, no, no, no. Go, please. Go. But uh, I'm not going to say what she does or, or, or anything. But Anna she's Kendrick. got like Sorry. she's she's gorgeous. She's beautiful, you know, in a quirky way. But she's beautiful. But she has like one little thing that is slightly off, and everyone like says like, "Oh man, like no, I could never do that. Like that freaks me out." And it's like her eyes are just like a little different. Like they're not level. Perfect. They're just slightly like, and I'm like, what's what's the problem? I one little that. thing is is what it's That's one little flavor. thing. Yeah, 100%. That is texture, my friend. Absolutely. I like a little, like a... Give me a little bit of that. Yeah, a crooked tooth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe like a couple like weirdly paralyzed nerves on the left side of their face. So when they smile, it's only like a half smile. Yeah. That's cute. I mean, like I have those things myself. Everyone's got it. And those should not be your insecurities. Those should be your your strengths. A lazy eye. Some stretch marks. Listen, I have to assume that they're going to accept me, right? And I'm no prize. Yeah. You know what I mean? My body looks like a roadmap, like a topography. Yeah. <laughs> you know oh, what I'm saying? There's lines everywhere, scars. See, I have that, but on my ass. I call it my tiger stripes. Cute. And because I have like, I was a fat ass kid. Like when I was born, <laughs> like I was fucking 14 pounds. Like, no, you were not I was. 14 pounds. I'll Your show poor you pictures. Mother. I was, I know, I destroyed my mom. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I was Tony's mom, disastrous. you are my hero. Like, and you can like, look on my Instagram, you can find pictures of my mom. You would never realize. That I she feel had a, so bad like, for her pelvic is... wall. <laughs> Oh like after that, she like she was like, "Oh, cool, I'm good." Like never having a kid again. But I was a and then she fat had ass baby, and then she had one. like another one, Solid. which was like completely unplanned. Sorry, Ben, you'll hear this and you'll find out you're an accident, right? Because uh-huh. there's, <laughs> there's Mario, who's what two years older than you, a year and a half, and he was an accident too. And then Ben is Ben is seven years old, years older or yeah. ten years younger. I'm he's, sorry. Yeah, he's six. He's fourteen years younger than me. Wow, sixty. Man, he's a little trip. But no, I was fat ass, so I was a fat ass baby. So when I like thinned out, and you could find pictures of me, I was like thin as a twig somehow. Right. But then like I finally started working out, my ass got big again, and then I got all these like, you know, nice little like tiger marks. It happened. And I'm brown. So like you, they're visible. That's like, great. It's great. I call them my tiger stripes. You know, my Tony wife, the tiger. my wife comes from an athletic, gorgeous family, and they're all thin and tall yep. and beautiful and... And, you know, obviously those kids, you know, her and her siblings went through awkward phases as we all do. And she's got pictures to prove it. But what I always want to say is like my Paige, my beautiful wife, you don't know from awkward. (laughs) You don't know at all. You don't know the pain. You don't know the pain. That I went through. And then, you know, my my awkward years were televised. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is this is where you win out of everyone. You you are like 
painted in the front. And it wasn't just like, oh, like you can find them, like an interview. Like I saw this recent interview with James Corden where he was interviewing Meatloaf and he's just like, oh. <laughs> Sounds like a great interview. It was, yeah, it was, it was <laughs> hilarious. But like you, you were prime every second, every stage of it. For me, thank God. I had nothing on TV that time. 100%. Like, and for me, I had awkward years. Like, probably to match yours, if not worse. Like, I had... Not worse. I can't imagine. I had curly, afro-like hair that I wouldn't cut because I thought long hair was better. So it was like like, like a Jew-fro. I went through the long hair phase. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, and bad. And it's, it's bad. Well, when you so, have ethnic hair, for the most part, like people like us... Jewish, Latin. Yes. I mean, uh, some some people are blessed and it just works. But for the most yeah. part, like I my mean, brother Mario, he always had great hair. Your brother Mario does have great hair, but for us, it's like it's a thick mane. I remember a little kiddo. You, just, you never know what to do with it. Yeah, I remember my we were taking care of my friend's little kids, and I put one of them on my shoulders, and she kind of put her hand through my hair and said, "She was like, it's like petting a dog." Oh shit! <laughs> and I was like, it's so true. But you know what? That means we'll have hair by the time we die. Yeah, that's, like, that's true. That's the truth of it, though. I'm going that's gray. Are you? No, I have. I found a couple of grays so yeah. far. Well, but like know. we always find. I'm I'm getting like the red beard. That's what I'm getting. Ooh, like yeah. the like Welcome. strays, and I'm like, oh, my Irish is showing. <laughs> um, but no, like okay, to finish out my awkward years, thin wireframe glasses that were like Harry Potter style. No, not even like like they were they were rectangle. Like, and, and I have big eyes, so it looked fucking weird. I had braces mm. that were, like, completely visible with, like, rubber bands, that shit. Right. So I could barely open my mouth. I had headgear. So I had that weird fucking, like, you know, headgear. That, what? like, uh, <laughs> fucking bar that, like, hangs around, like, a fucking planetary ring. So it wasn't it wasn't easy for young Tony Rebel. No. And I had that for, like, six months walking everywhere. I couldn't eat any candy. I couldn't do anything. No. And there is not a single picture that exists of me at that time. Well, yeah, you should burn them. Oh, no. I Get never even let anyone take any pictures. You're smart. Never. And my dad was so mad. He was like, come on, it's memories. I'm like, fuck these memories. Yeah, my awkward years are in reruns. <laughs> what now? Where can you watch those reruns, Josh? Oh, uh, have you heard of Teen Nick? Um, <laughs> now, where? how often do you find you pull from that in a method acting way for when you have to be insecure or like uncomfortable in a scene and you're like, all right, I'm just going to go to 12-year-old Tony Revolori. Boom. I'm Every full. time. I'm full. I'm full. Like, it's like I haven't even made a dent into what that could give me. It's that just, reservoir. Yes. Like, it is It right. is deep. Right. It is deep. And you just take a little ingot and you just instantly feel. And the thing is, you already, you still have your insecurities now. Though You don't need much of it. But, like, if you want to feel really insecure, you just think back to those days. Think back to the awkward things you've done. Like, I, I've definitely gone back and I'm like, if I could butterfly affect this shit... <laughs> I totally would have done like different things. And it's incredible how childhood memories are so, it, they're so vivid and they, you know, because yeah. now 
as any adult who hopefully works on themselves in any respect, you sort of mm-hmm. dilute any of these feelings because they still come up, obviously. But now I'm like, that's not reasonable and look at right. my life and I'm so lucky and blah, blah, blah. I throw a lot of logic in the face of it. Absolutely. But at 13, I thought these feelings would kill me. It's, they it's were so like, real. Um, the, the, the way I phrase it is when you're a kid, when you're a baby, you start out right next to a wall. So you can't tell anything. And as you grow older, you step back and back and back. And in your teenage years, you can see a bit of the painting, but you can only see that. By the time you're older, you can see the full scope of the painting. So even though you say that part is not great, you can see what other parts are great or what other things and you have a full picture. So I think that's right. Right. And, and I think that's why as a kid, your insecurities are the end of the world. Right. Because there's nothing else. Do you think, well, speaking of that, what do you, um, what's your process when you're approaching a character, when you're approaching a role? How do you, how do you get in the skin? I, I recently figured that out. I usually used to say like, I just go out and do it Mm -hmm. because that's what I thought I did. But I've been like, as I'm getting older and doing more projects, projects I'm like feeling doing more plays, I realized what my actual process is. So I write like an essay for every character I do. Really? Um, yeah, and they're usually like four pages where they're from, what they do, you know, their fetishes if they have it, like weird shit like that. Like okay. just I make myself a character and then I let it go and then I don't, I don't care about it. I don't need to read about it when I'm shooting or, you know, maybe I'm still like I'll add a little thing if the director tells me or whatever. But what I realize is the day I show up, on set or start pre-production or everything, I've already become that character without knowing it. Like, I've started to adopt certain characteristics of that. Um, but where does that come from? From just from just like running from, lines? From running lines. Reading like Because I, I like to memorize all my lines before I even start the movie. Wow. So, Bold. Right? God, so much um, work. Very much like a play. So I, I like that's why I think I like doing plays as well. Makes you sense. You have to do it. But so... For me, it also is evolving with the you know actors that you're acting with and things like that. But but for me, I've already figured out what personality this person has, what what characteristics he should shouldn't have, what ticks, and I just slightly adopt them to the point that I'm never not doing them on set. And by the time we cut, a bit of that has stayed with me. So I've always grown with the roles I take. So on Budapest, I was a shy you know, kid who was trying to prove himself because all these Oscar winners were on there. So the character kind of adopted that where I was trying to prove myself and I was gaining more confidence as the movie goes on and you, I was gaining more confidence as the filming went on. Did you embrace, because I've always heard acting teachers <clears throat> talk about this, is embracing the reality of the feelings that are going on and figuring out yes, how to make that applicable 100%. to your character. So, you know, I was still nervous. I still had to prove myself every single time and, you know... Not just being the only ethnic person there, but being the youngest person there and being a lead there. So that kind of took on. And I, and after that, I took a bit of, of Zero's confidence with me. And then I went to do this other movie where it was a loudmouth character who, you know, screamed and wanted to have sex. And then that was in Dope. And after that film, I had a lot of confidence and vibrato to have a personality and I kind of broke out of my shell of being shy 
and be, like became more talkative because of that role. And it slowly grew like that, taking piece by piece of my characters like that, which is which is strange to me. So that's kind of like my process, which I've I've, I've really started to kind of get into now. Well, let's talk about Grand Budapest because you were what sixteen? I was sixteen when I shot it. Yeah, and the way you. Uh, I mean, let's let's go back to the beginning. So you auditioned for this role, and yes. your brother auditions for it. Yes. So okay. we both auditioned for it. And what's um, your understanding of Wes Anderson and that whole world to that point? I'd seen Darjeeling Limited, and I'd really liked it. I'd seen Bottle Rocket. Okay. And I was like, cool movie. But like, so I, I not you know, like the most popular ones either. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah like, so I mean, I'd seen them on like Anderson TNT movies. and stuff like that. Um, and and so you weren't totally aware of the cachet. Yes, I I didn't know him. The, the Anderson. Effect. I didn't know the Anderson universe. I didn't know how beloved he was. Mm. I've known of him, and I think he's a great filmmaker. But I I wasn't aware of what his impact is. Yeah. Yes, the hype. So you know, I go into this audition. It's untitled Wes Anderson project, and every time you see an untitled something, you're like, oh, this guy must be someone great so you know we did it my brother and i go in we go to the audition and are um, you practicing with each other or are you kind of do, so having your own we private didn't, we process we didn't give it we they didn't give us a script they give us 14 pages as we arrived on the audition how awful right oh god but, but everyone else had no one to practice with no one to read against so my brother and i would read with each other so i would read mr gustav uh, Monsieur gustav with him and he would do it to me so we were able to kind of practice playing it with someone else as opposed to those guys who read it and just continually memorized the lines and then went in not knowing what it's like to read with someone else. Right. But no, my brother and I, like, we read together all the time, even if we go out for the same roles. We'd done that since we were kids. But the funny thing is, like, you know, you see these big projects and, you know, you're like, oh, we won't get it. We're coming to an audition. We can show we did good, but, you know, we'll never get it. And... A fellow Nick star, Avin Jogia, auditioned, and we saw him in the audition room. And we'd known of him. You know, he was the brown guy who was, like, getting jobs that we wanted to get. And he's so gorgeous. And he's he's beautiful. And he's nice, which is the worst he's part. He's so sweet. He's a really he's, good guy. He's so sweet. And he, he really is very talented. But I know but, what But, it... like, you know, when, and, and I had nothing to my name at that point. My brother had a little bit more credits. So in my mind, I was like, cool, he's got the part. You know, that's when you walk into an audition room. Sometimes your confidence loses when you see. I'm sure if you walked oh into a confidence God. room and, and you saw. If I saw Miles Teller in there, right. not that he has to audition anymore. <laughs> right, I'd be exactly. like, okay, but I'll like, just go fuck myself. Exactly. Or even, like, Jason Ritter or Michael Angarano. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Like, you got. I don't know about Michael Angarano. Oh, dude. Like, I I love Michael Angriano. He crushes. But I feel like you and Michael Angriano. We used like, to go up all the time for things, and I would walk in, and I'd be like, well, Mike, have fun doing this part. You're going to kill it. <laughs> like, another nice like, guy. It's like, I mean, Damn but it, that's I wish I could hate him. So, I know. So, I mean, but, like, also, I feel like... So, I, you're not I, psyched out. I'm not, like, we're not psyched out, but we're also like, okay, cool, we'll go and audition. This will be fun, you know? Right. So, we go in an audition. My brother and I kill it. We go, but you know. So how do you know that you kill? You just knew. You, knew we, we just away. like had like, like a did feeling. what you wanted to do. We did what we like, and and the thing is, we knew killing it doesn't mean booking it, right? So like killing it means like this cast director now loves us, like like uh, the cast director Doug Abel and his casting uh, 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 director here in California. She was like, we love you guys. You guys are so great. So it's like, great. Like, you'll think of us for the next thing. And isn't that so much a part of the work? Because as actors, it's so easy to just feel as though if you don't book the job, 
you lose. You lose. But the but reality is you'll never know unless, when that casting director reminds, you know, remembers you three right, years later. Exactly. For the right thing. For the right thing. Because you might have had the wrong look or you wasn't old enough. And, and three years down the line, you're perfect for this other one because you're the perfect age or but whatever. But good thing you were perfect for the Wes Anderson movie <laughs> with every famous person in it ever. I know. So who are you? We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The people who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make the show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to listenerq, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q dot com slash curious and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Yeah. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash curious. That's ListenerQ.com slash curious. So you beat your brother. So then, then the the then the happy and sad part of it all was the full story is my grandfather died a week after the audition. Wow! And it was it was so sad and and I remember and I was very very close with my grandfather. He he gave me I'm very into watches. So one of my uncles passed away and gave his watch to my grandfather and my grandfather passed it on to me. So I was very close with my grandfather. Like I would hear his stories a million times and go talk to him, even though there was a slight language barrier and I didn't speak the greatest Spanish, but I loved him. And he was like, your time's coming. Because at that point, you know, my brother had an episode stint on Law and & Order and Weeds and this. And I'm like, okay, so even if I don't book it, he has a better shot of it. Right. And also he's like legal 18 or close to legal 18 at that point. And not taking anything away from those shows, but isn't it incredible when you're not working and you're looking at other people, you're like, he just did three episodes of CSI. Yeah. And like, you're just like, he's on the top of the fucking mountain right now. Like God. For right now. Like yeah. it, it definitely works that he way. He just did an under five on law and order. Exactly. And I'm so, so freaking jealous. <laughs> so, so, you know, my father flies. No, no. So then we get a, a, Call back and they tell us, it is down to you and your brother. No one else is auditioning. One of you two will book it. God. Okay. It's like, it, it feels it's like, Shakespearean. It, 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 it really was. And the thing is, I, I wish they didn't say that. I wish it said, like, only you two are auditioning here in this screening, but we're still auditioning kids in right. Lebanon and this So and you that, weren't you know? so pitted against each exactly, other. Exactly. But, like, here it was like, oh, shit. Like one of us has got it. Like I, I right. like no matter what, we've done that before. But there's always been like a third or a fourth person. So if if my if Mario books it or I book it, we can put off that. Like I'm just I'm still glad you booked it over that guy. Gotcha. But here it's like there's no other scapegoat to put that anger into. So then so it's what? Like, so then we go into the audition. It's an audition slash interview, and he interviews each of us for thirty minutes. With and like with Wes. Wes wasn't there, but he sent in questions and that he wanted answered. Um, what were some of the questions? It was like was it so like this? It it was a little bit like this. Did you you know, want to know like, about so your like, tiger so, stretch marks? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my <laughs> cholesterol. Solid. Um, we'll get back to that. Uh, he was there, right? We ended with with cholesterol, but he was asking like, you know, what's your personality? What do you think? Are you a shy kid? And, you know, my personality was I was in the shadow of my brother at that time. So he, he I think, fell for that. And after that, 
my dad was in Guatemala uh, uh, with my grandfather bearing him. And Wes call or, or my agent calls and says, yo, Wes wants to fly you out to Paris. Yes or no? I'm like, of course. But like, like my dad isn't here to say yes and, you know, whatever. So it was very weird. His producer calls my dad in Guatemala, like over like call collect. And like, tell, and my dad's like, I mean, like, I'm not there. This is very strange. I like, you want him to fly alone to Paris. Right. I don't know how I feel about it. And they convinced my dad, like, he's obviously not going to say no, but he like, as a dutiful parent, he's like, I want you to be an actor, but at the same time, I want you to be like a fine human being. So I don't want you to get like fucked over by some casting weird couch or some shit like and that. And was your dad, <laughs> and was your dad familiar with Wes Anderson? He Probably. was. He knew how big Ish. this opportunity was. Right. But he was still like, I'm still going to be a good parent and not just say, I'm a stage yeah, parent. Like, go do, you know, whatever. So like he go dutifully did his jobs, job. honey. Yeah. Sweetie. Go so work like, for <laughs> it. So he was like, you know, I don't know. And they convinced him. Because obviously he wasn't against it too much. But like, you know, convinced him I flew out to Paris. It was a 14-hour flight there. I stayed for, for 17 hours and flew back 14 Business hours. Business class? No, economy. What the fuck? West Blue economy. Oh, way to go. <laughs> I got a bone to I pick know. with. Uh, everyone's got a bone to pick. Um, <laughs> but but then economy. I... I, I <laughs> God. It was Economy Comfort, I think. So My, oh, Economy Plus? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's nice. But another untold story of that flight. Yeah. I was an unaccompanied minor. There was another unaccompanied minor who only spoke French, who was 17 and I was 15 at the time, flying out to meet Wes. For your part? For, to, like, to meet for the part. Uh, and she was not flying out for the part. She was just flying to Paris from L.A. And our, our plane got stuck on the tarmac for whatever reason. And we stayed there for like three hours and I had no one to talk to. So I Google translate with this girl talked for a while and slept with her on the plane. Stop it. I'm not, I'm not joking. You joined the mall high club on your way to get <laughs> the biggest role of your yeah, life. Exactly. Oh my God. How great was that? Stop it. Where? Okay. Let's get the play by play. At what so, point do you type into Google translate? <laughs> wanna fuck. <laughs> See, that's the thing. You don't, you don't ask wanna fuck. Like, you know, we were talking and obviously we were vibing because she was like, you know, like it wasn't like, oh, cool. We're just having a conversation here. It was like, oh, you know, like flirty little like hand touches. So I'm like, okay, she's in it. And she's, she's an like, older woman. She's an older woman. 17. 17. But I don't think she knew how old I was, which was thankful. And then, you know, like by, by the end of it, after the three hours, we had like had a like rapport. And like I spoke Spanish a little bit and she spoke French. So like we were trying to figure out how to have a conversation there. And it was fun. And then, you know, like she made the first move, which was the first time I'd ever encountered that. Sounds like an Ivan Reitman movie. Like this is just. And, and like she grabbed my hand and I was like, okay. And I was completely nervous, but I was riding the high. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm you flying to Paris. It. I'm going to get this book, this role. I'm like, this girl's feeling me. I'm like, this is what Hollywood is like. Yeah. You're like, my life has changed. My life has changed already. So I like, you know, I grab her hand back, you know, I'd like put my arm over her. I lean over, we kiss. And there's no. a third. There's is anyone th watching this interaction? Okay, okay, so there's a third unaccompanied minor next to me. But and she's like seven. 
and I was in the middle seat. You're making out in front of the seven year old. Yeah, and Great. then and then you know we had like those weird like the, the, the like terrible small blankets they give to like people on these long flights to uh-huh. go to sleep. Oh, here we go. So we like put it over our our bodies and like you know we were rubbing each other's thighs and shit and then she like went for the 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 the. The Rocket Man. Oh my um, gosh! Is there like a flight attendant coming by, being like, "Yes, because we're unaccompanied minors." So they like came by often, and so she was like, uh, uh, "She pointed to the restroom, and she was like, yeah, you and me.'" And I was like, "Perfect! This is exactly how poor <laughs> you were." Like, it. I suppose I could make it. <laughs> I could make I've, it. I've only got twelve hours to go. <laughs> exactly. I suppose I could have the greatest experience <laughs> of my life. I'm so jealous. So so we get on this. We get into the bathroom. Like, we sneak in, we do it, you know, <laughs> clothes come off, yada, yada. Wow. Um, clothes come off in the bathroom. Like, you know, like, it's like pants just go enough. down. Like, just enough. Just enough. And, and one, you know. One we, thing I've always wondered, did the bathroom smell? A little bit. Yeah, of course it bit. did. All right. But I think she was somewhere. French. She was okay with it. Wow. So and we, like, we go at it for, like, a good minute before... And then we're, and they're, and the flight attendant's like, we know what you guys are doing. Please just put on your pants, go back to your seats, please. Thank you very much. And it's was it, it a French airline? It, uh, I think it was Air Berlin. All right, the Germans are down with it too. Yeah, they know Germans are cool up. with it. They're cool. I'm pretty sure they knew instantly when we walked in, but they were like, "Let them have their fun." He's 15. It won't take longer than yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Somehow, I was like far too nervous because I got it. Somehow, my... no big surprise there, Tony. <laughs> I mean, and, Jesus. And then we went back and you know, like you know, kept like touching and making out as the plane went on, and you know, and then I never saw her again. Wow, that sounds. That's a perfect relationship, right? <laughs> That's unbelievable. I want to marry that girl. So you lose your virginity on an Air Berlin flight, or close to it. Close, yeah. You, you lose your uh, your your thirty thousand feet virginity. My thirty thousand feet virginity. And now you you're sitting across from Wes Anderson. And what are you what are you thinking? Fuck, 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 fuck. Don't fuck this up. And and because they were telling me a bit of the cast, and I was like, oh my god, holy shit! Who, give me the highlights. Are they like Harvey Keitel? Harvey, uh, Ray Fiennes, uh, they told me Jeff Goldblum, Jason Schwartzman, they told me Saoirse Ronan, they told me... Jesus. Uh, Bob Balaban, they told me Edward Norton, they told me... So only um, the best actors alive, go on. Right, uh, uh, Tilda Swinton, no, no, before it was Tilda Swinton, it was Angela Lansbury. Awesome. Murder, she um, wrote, baby. Murder, she wrote. She was going to play the older woman wrong. So what is, um, what is and, Wes... And before F. Murray Abraham, it was, uh, I think, Dustin Hoffman. Sheesh. And Bill Murray. And Bill Murray. They told me about Bill Murray as well. But that one I kind of knew because, like, obviously Bill Murray is going to be in it. And, um, what's, and what does Wes ask you? Do you have to do the scene in front of him? Yeah, we read the whole entire script together. Just like a table read type setting. Uh, we act out the entire thing for, like, a, 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 a good hour and a you half. And, and he plays the other parts. He, yeah, and someone else. His, his um, associate producer at that time, Octavia Pysel. Shout out to you. You were amazing. Uh, who is now a co-producer on Isle of Dogs, which is great. I saw it last night. Fucking fantastic. And she read, like, she was reading Saoirse's parts, or Agatha, the character, and, and you know, like, Wes, like, because she was a little bit older, and Wes was like, okay, I want to, like, in the movie, he's, uh, the character's very nervous, but it, with his girlfriend, he's very confident. And he told me that, and he put me right next to this girl, and, and Octavia's gorgeous. She's like a tall... French American girl who's beautiful, and of course I'm nervous. 
Well, at this point, you've got your plane experience. You're like, right. I'm about to make this two out of two. Two out of two. <laughs> What's up, but like, you know, still like nervous and things. And, and, and Wes puts me next to her and he's like, you know, I want to see you be confident. He didn't say that, but I could tell right. that's what he wanted to do. So, you know, I like, I'm reading this and I, I put my arm around her and, you know, like I, I like completely grab her hands and hold it near me. And I read this scene and he was like, great. Great. And at that point, he still didn't tell me I had the job. But we went out to dinner, uh, which was a great place in France. And does he regale you with stories? What's the interaction like? Because he was, he was very much about making me feel comfortable. And does he ask you a lot about you? He asked me a lot about me, like, you know, my childhood. What's my brother's like? My parents, you know, things like that. Like, how do I feel? You know, it's you know, funny. I was, was, yeah. I was interviewing Stamos and... He was talking about Tom Hanks, and I feel like great artists like this have a tendency to take a deep interest in, in other people. Laser in, yeah, because yeah. they're they're stealing I, in the best way possible. It, they're stealing experience. It's one hundred percent, and I think it is it is that thing of I want to know you. I want to like whoa, 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 everything about you. Just tell me right mm. now. And and Wes is so focused. And into it that it, it, when he has his interest on you, there's no stopping it. And it, and every every answer leads to seven more questions that he asks you. And he's going a mile a minute. And you must be flattered, right? I mean, there's of no course. greater feeling. I mean, it, I feel so flattered. But then I'm also – my own insecurities are like, but why is he asking me these things? Right. Like, is it because he wants to find something bad? Is it be, like, oh, man, I, I didn't grow up, you know – rich or anything so do i i feel i feel like i have to answer like i i come from a little bit of money right but like you know and you know that's the insecurities but he was he was completely with it finding you know the questions to make me feel comfortable and it was it was great did you ever find you know three months in you're shooting the film now and he in the middle of a scene pulls you over to the side and goes tony i want you to pull from 10th grade when that girl made fun of your tiger stretch marks or <laughs> something like were you like oh my god he remembered he that remembered. from dinner oh like, my god did he ever um, use it not i'm assuming no not. no 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 he never used it okay second follow-up question what Over. did he order for dinner so we went to this restaurant in, yeah. in france i forget what it's called because he's I a real food guy he's a food guy so the only thing you can order is how you'd like your steak done and how how many plates that's all you get so you, it's a steak fry place they don't do anything else but they Nothing crush else. it at that. But they crush. It was like, and it has this green sauce on it that's fucking incredible. And it was, it was like, again, you know, I didn't grow up rich, so like my my <laughs> e, my like my fancy thing. Yo, was, where the was, air, where the A one at, son? Like, yeah, I was like, where's you know, my my fancy thing is like going to I don't know, fucking Applebee's. Applebee's was fancy to me, it but like going is. there, I was like, oh my god. Like this is this is rich people. This is like rich white people shit. And I was like, thank you for letting me enjoy it. And then like the thing that made him the saddest was like dessert came and he's a big dessert guy. So he was like, you know, was like, what are you what are you feeling for dessert? And you know, you know, I, I and I'm like, oh no, I I'm good, thank you. He's like, I don't usually eat desserts, which I don't. And he's like, why why why, why don't you eat desserts? And I'm like, oh, I'm allergic to to chocolate and peanut butter. So most of these things have chocolate and peanut butter. Mm. So I usually just never even order dessert. And he's like, well, well we're going to find you a dessert. And he goes there and he looks at the menu. Everything is chocolate and peanut butter. So he's like, oh, 
Can can you get like a, a bunch of strawberries with like sugar poured on it? Uh, that, that, that's a delicacy here in in France. And they were like, we. Oui. So they get me like a, a full cup of strawberries poured like with this like, <laughs> cr- like weird crystal sugar that was amazing. So if you had to boil it down to one or two things in your experience mm-hmm. while working with Wes, that you would say what makes him great, or like what it is that makes him such a auteur and have such a clear vision. Could you do that? Number one, I think, is the script. Right. It's all in the words. The first 15 pages of the script, besides typos, did not change in any way from the first draft. Wow. Which is incredible. And it is so visual that you know every step of the way without it feeling intrusive in your performance. Visual as far as like the articulation on the page. Yes, like he jumps over this and he walks on and the, you know, that you can, you can picture it or you can picture a version of it. Mm. So you never don't know what he it wants. Right. And that also leads into the, he knows what he wants. Um, and then number two, he just does not stop. So you feel like momentum is your your best friend. Because for us, if, if we just finished this scene right now, he would come in, he would not stop cameras, he would not stop anything. No one would come in for makeup unless we had to reset a prop or do anything like that. No cuts. Or like he would tell the prop guys, have it prop ready so we can just go in for another take. And he'd come in for like 15 seconds and tell you, so we want you to do it, but I want you to like go a little bit faster and do this or like, you know, give notes. And then he's like, okay, everyone's still in it and action. So there's no cut, no like stop of that momentum. And you do 40 takes in like 15, 20 minutes. Wow. And, and, and it's, it's incredible. Do you feel as though in what I've heard about Fincher and what have you, like yeah. guys like that who have you do so many takes, it's really just to stop you from acting so that you get so exhausted of the yeah. choices that we all inevitably yeah, yeah, make, make on your yeah. way. Until it just becomes natural. It's so natural and conversational that at a certain point it's like... I don't think it's that for him. I think he's also trying to play with things as well. Because mm. it's never big differences in his things, but I always say he's got at least four different versions of that movie that he could have edited with different performances. Like the first ten are a more muted version, but like with quicker dialogue, slower dialogue, and then the, the second... 20 or what 10 to 20 takes are a little bit more high strong energy uh so gradations yes and so he has like different like versions of characters as well choices different choices that he's come up with and he's trying to figure out as well okay so not to play favorites but obviously you're with a dream team on on something like grand budapest yeah was there one actor in particular where you're acting opposite them and you would just get lost you'd be like like yo you're good like yo, they're like, honestly, good. Honestly, like Ray Fiennes. Yeah, because I mean, he had the most scenes with me, and and it's like every actor there is fantastic. But I feel like we created a bond on that movie, playing these two characters, and we would just every every second that wasn't rolling, we would keep that going no matter what, mm. um, which was which was amazing and and so cool. But, like, I had great experiences with everyone. I loved working with Jeff Goldblum. He is just so magnanimous, and, and, and you want, you're, you're waiting on every word he says because it's just, you know, ha It's just, it's like, Tony life, uh, life finds a way. Uh, Tony Revolori. Oh, it's Tony. So beautiful. Look at him. Look at him. He's so good. Oh, good. 
Good man. Good man. Isn't that interesting, too, that inevitably, like, Jeff Goldblum, who's such a great actor, too, as many actors, they, they sort of do a thing. Yes. Like, they, he's they doing the kind of become themselves. Yeah. yeah. We made a movie together. We did make a movie together. It's called um, San Bernardino Bound. <laughs> Take the 10. Take the 10. Oh, don't Netflix. worry. You haven't seen it. Um, we did make a movie together. That's we how we met. That's how we met. And we had fun. Um, it was a great, it was, it was fun. And it was you, fun. You booked Spider-Man right at the beginning of making that right movie. Right at the beginning. Like right as I, I, I signed on to do this movie with you. And I remember, do you remember what I told you when we were making it? Don't get big headed. Cause I, no. Do you think <laughs> I would say that? Look at no. me. <laughs> um, I said, because the element of, of the movie would allowed for us to improvise and cause yeah, it was a straight oh, yeah, comedy yeah. and we had, you know, people like Andy Samberg and all these Fred like, Armisen. Yeah, yeah. Like incredibly funny people. And, and then you were going to go do this Marvel movie and I'm like, have fun here. Cause you're not going to be able, you're That's not going to be allowed yeah. to have fun there. And not, it's 100%. I mean, it's, I it's mean a, like, and, and you do have fun on these sets cause it's great. And it's like, Oh, wonderful. Your 12 year old self. It's like Spider-Man walks in. Oh my God. He's in the costume. No, it's incredibly cool. But like, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult it's to a, work on those sets. Cause you wait a long time. You do this. You can't improvise. You can't like it's throw specific. jokes. It's a machine. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you, I, I remember hearing Matthew McConaughey talk about the movies he did before he sort of had his resurgence where he just right, became the, the man. Yeah. And he said, you know, you can't drop anchor in those movies. You kind of have to allow them to sort of float at a certain level. Yeah. You can't, you know, you have to be in service of the project at all times. Absolutely. And so when you try to make it about you, I heard Ted Danson was interviewed by Mark Marion the other day and he was saying mm. that he did four years of CSI and it was really hard because... He's like, my instinct would be to put a joke in a certain place or to give it a button to but, a scene. But it's like, it's, it's a no thing. Well, because you don't want the audience laughing when they need to be following along. Yeah. And they need to be retaining the information. That's why, like, if, for, for me, like, thankfully, you know, I think John was also trying to figure things out. And they had a great, they were, they were okay with me, like, figuring out buttons and things. And I'm decent at improvising, not as good as you. Oh, please, astro. come on. But I definitely put in some things and, and put in some like twang and spunk and things like that. But there, I remember there was this one scene where John Watt came up to me and it was a scene where Tom Holland, who plays Peter Parker, walks into the party with uh, Jacob Batalone, who plays Ned Leeds. And I start, you know, making fun of them over the microphone because I'm DJing. And the director's like, okay, we got a couple of the line ones. Now, now give us, give us, give us something meaner. And when I and and he looked into my eyes and said, "When I say mean, I want you to like make them leave crying." I'm like, "Hey, buddy. I was made fun of as a kid. I'm great at clapbacks. You want them to cry? I can get them to cry. Will it be too mean?" And he's like, "No. I want you to go fucking full force." I was like, mm. "All right, I got you." So I leave. He leaves, and I, I say a couple of lines, and and you know the extras are supposed to be laughing and stuff. No one laughs. Every it's like so mean. Like, and I go really hard on their characters, of course, but like things they have, like insecurities and things like that. And I go really hard. You go after the uh, moms. Oh, I go after like the mom. I go after Aunt May. All these different things. And, Great. And everyone's like, well, and then and then the like the one I'll say here, so for your exclusive audience, is. There was one. It's like uh, it's like that's not that's not Spider Man. That's a uh, Ned. Where'd you guys come from? Indiana Jones and the Last Buffet. 
because he's a bit of a chubbier kid. And everyone, like, at that point, everyone was like, oh, shit. And I was like, cut. We're cutting, John. Like, I can't go any more meaner than that. Like, let's let's stop. And he was like, bro, that was too mean. And I went and I gave both actors hugs. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. And John's like, it's my fault. But, like, Tony, I didn't think you were actually going to go. I'm like, I told you. I can make them cry. He asked you to make he them asked cry. Them. And he was like, what do just you want? dial it back from, like, a 10 to, like, a 3. I'm like, I can do that. No problem. But how do you feel? And I think you do a really good job at this because I know for me walking on set when I did Red Dawn and it was Chris Hemsworth and all these incredible stunt guys yeah. and and this whole world that I'm not comfortable in. And it very much became like a boys club. And in that sense, like, because I know what yeah. my bag of tricks are and where I shine and being able to put in a funny joke somewhere. Right. Or even like certain dramatic stuff where I feel like this is definitely in my wheelhouse. I can I can play. But in that sense, being on that set, I remember feeling quite like, let me just be in service to the script and sort of act as if because I don't make, I don't make sense in I've that world. I've gotten more confident in different areas and different things to, 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 to voice what I want, to voice my opinions, to do things like that in every like comedy, drama, this, that, you know, voice what I want, my opinions and things like that, whether they be taken or not. But I've definitely gotten more comfortable in saying like, no, fuck this. I'm going to like say what I want to say. If you take it, then great. If you don't, then it's fine. But do you like, feel com? Do you feel comfortable? Yes, you do now. I do now. I I can see that. I I do now. Like and and there was still a sense. Like even last year, I worked on a movie called Long Dumb Road with Jason Manzukis, which was fucking hilarious. We went to Sundance and it was amazing. Yeah, he's the truth. He's he's genuinely the best improviser I've ever been with. That's fine. We um, made a movie together too, Tony. I don't know. Oh, if I you know he did. Yeah. I know he did. It's and quite a lot of improvising here's on the our thing. movie. Your number there. two. Thank you so much. Three. What? Stephen Merchant. Fuck. I'm sorry. All right, great. Stephen Merchant. Don't, cool. don't just, like, Stephen Merchant's great. He created right. The Office. But is he happy? Yeah, yeah. he's probably, he's probably super happy. Think about those office residuals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now, okay. Okay, but like, uh, you know, it's like working with him, like I've gotten more confident even on that set. I was like, I was still like not okay to voice my opinions as much as I like could have been. So, you know, I've, I've definitely gotten more confident in, in saying like, no, I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to say what I have to say, whether it's taken or not, but I'm going to say it. So in closing, what do you think? What do you think of the scene? Because I feel like you're so much better at, at like working this business than I am. Because I've become a little bit more disillusioned know, and curmudgeonly. And you uh, fucking love a good party, Tony Revolori. I know. You love a good schmooze. You got connections. <laughs> you got stories. I love it. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, like, I just love going to these parties for the free alcohol. Solid. You which... steer clear of the fuckboys? Oh, yeah. Have you become a fuckboy? No, 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 no. You no, better no. not. Uh, I have a friend group, and we're a tight-knit group, and we're called the Fellas. That's what we call ourselves. Uh, that sounds like fuckboys, Tony. No, it's not. <laughs> the Fellas. The Fellas. The fact that you have a title for your group. <laughs> That's our, like, Instagram title. Or not Instagram. Instagram? Our, you guys have a hashtag? I mean, no. Or, or um, on your phone, you can, like, your group name. Oh, your That's group what, chat. That's our group name. <laughs> It's not, it's not like, and, and, and trust me, we're like, every single one of us is in a relationship. One of us is having a kid. So like, we're anything but fuck boys. The um, fellas. The fellas. Jesus. But like, you know, I like going, and, and the thing is, I just like it going to, to see people I either know or make better connections or just like, cause I like, I like working in the industry. The so I'm like, and also the truth of it is I have to, because for, for, for me, you have to do for that. me as a brown person, I have it 
three times as hard, four times as hard as any other white person. Why? Because I want to be a lead actor. There's less roles. I want to be a lead actor. And, and, okay, I'll phrase it this way. There was a very, very, very famous director. Um, I know who it is, but we won't say. Yeah. Uh, That I went out for a part. And the movie's coming out. And I went to audition for it. and, And I went far. And the reason I was told I couldn't do it was because I was exotic looking. I, I, I was, and I was like, oh, okay. And, and the truth of it is, I went into the and, and and I heard, because I know that director's daughter, that I came off as desperate. And I, and, and I told her, well, here's the problem. If I'm not desperate, I won't ever get a role. If I'm desperate, I won't get a role. So I'm in a catch-22 situation. Because for every white guy... There, there are 30 white guys for every one me and they're and 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 my level so there's a Ty shirt and Co- Cody Smith McPhees the Sh- Timothy Chalamet Luke, Lucas hedges and they all have better credits better well-known better box office so okay and you they're know, good and they're and they're fantastic and of course I've met a lot of them they are sweethearts right such nice guys but for me I I, I have to not only convince them that I am the better of all these white guys, but it is better to go ethnic. And that's a decision people have to make. And it's 10 10 African-American people to one me because they've accepted African-American leads way more than they have brown people. So I have to go in and I have to call and I have to call the cast director and say, so what is a feedback? Tell me what I can do. Oh, he didn't like that audition tape? Well, let me send you a self-tape with something else. You know, I'll I'll get what he wants. Oh, no. And, And by the end of it, it's it's them telling me, and I I actually saw the director, and I met the director, and again, very very famous director, and I went up to him and I said, "Hi, how are you doing? I know your daughter, yada yada yada." I auditioned. And he's like, "Yeah, you did great." I'm like, "Now, can I ask you a question? You said you said, and and I'm not gonna get mad at you because you have your vision as a director, and that's that's completely fine, but when you were looking at the role, who did you picture? Did you ever picture a brown guy? And 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 again." feel free. He's like, you know, I, I didn't know what I was picturing. I'm like, be honest. It's like, why, why, why was I not cast? It's like, what about me was wrong? Was my audition? Like, did I act wrong? And he's like, no, you were, I was like, you were wrong. Okay. The adaptation that it's in, you know, he's a porky. Oh man. Wow. Oh yeah. And he's like, just totally like blacked out with confidence. You were like, I just, I need to know. At this point, I was like, fuck it. If I don't say this now, no one's ever going to fucking say it. So this is my time to say it with the movements happening. And and I, I really, like, again, I didn't attack him. I just wanted him to realize why my desperation is there. So I asked him. So I'm like, the character, he's a quirky character. Do I not look quirky? No, you look quirky. Okay, am I not good looking enough for the character? Because he, he does have to be slightly charming. No, you're charming and, and, and you're good looking. I'm like, okay, so you said I was exotic looking. What exactly? Like, I want you to pinpoint what exactly it is it, that is too exotic for me. Is it my nose? Is it my eyes? Is it my body type? And he was like, no. I'm like, so so tell me exactly what it is. And he's like, it's your skin tone. I'm like, so you were picturing someone else that wasn't my skin tone. And he's like, I mean, and I'm like, you see? And, and, I, and I told him, I'm like, you see, I, I don't want you to, by all means, do what you want to do. 
I'm not telling you to do it because obviously you do such a fucking fantastic job, but I want you to realize why I had to work three times as hard as every other person there. It, you have to realize why once in an audition, I had an audition the next day for this, this show called Homecoming, and I can name it, and the character is Hispanic, Walter Cruz, played by Oscar Isaac in this podcast version of it. So it's Hispanic. I'm thinking I have a better shot than most people. You know, Oscar's Guatemalan, I'm Guatemalan, the character's Hispanic, I'm Hispanic, I'm, you know, similar-esque to the part. So I'm like, but still, I'm a brown guy, I'm going to work twice as hard. I listened to all 15 hours of the podcast, season one and two. Well, it's great. And it's fantastic. It's so good. You've, you've heard it. Yeah, it's, I love it's it. fantastic. I've read every serialized novel about it because they had a little thing, a serialized thing. I read that all within 15 hours of getting the audition and memorizing eight pages of line, going in there, killing it. And when I walked into that audition room, every other person in that audition room was black. Everybody else. There was not a single other Hispanic person or white person. And I get it. You want to make it ethnic. That's great. But are there not enough Hispanic people? So it showed I still had to work harder than them. And they still ended up casting them because I was the only brown person. And for the one brown person to convince saying all these other ethnicities are wrong or wrong for the part and I'm the best is so difficult. What would have made you feel better walking into that room if it had been an even amount of you know, different ethnicities, so African-American, white, Latin, if it had only been Latin, I feel like then I that been, presents its yeah, own thing but, too, but right? I would've, yeah, absolutely. Then it's like, okay, cool, may the best Hispanic win. But I, I just wanted, I wanted them to try harder to make it ethnic. Like in their minds, they try had already- to be true to what had already true, been written. Not even that, but like just- But the characters, the characters as you said. I mean, it's Walter Cruz- Right, he's a Hispanic character, and I just I wanted to I wanted well to... Terry Crews. No, I'm kidding. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, different spelling, but yes. Yes, you're right. Um, but like I I just I wanted I wanted them to try to audition a couple of more Hispanic people. Right. And there are great Hispanic people out here, but you always see them on on, on Hispanic soap operas, so you can't see what they actually can do in dramatic roles because you resign them to being, you know, dramatic, weird actors on soap operas. So it sucks. So that's why it's very hard to break out of that. But then you had already resigned it that this role was going to be a black character. But do you think that when you talk to this director and he kind of gave you an honest, because we all have these suspicions, right? Yeah, of course. Because usually the feedback is some cryptic bullshit, something, or, you know, it's them trying to be nice, but, and understandably so, they can only say so much. Yes. Because people can only, you know, people short circuit with too much honesty. Absolutely. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And usually they'll say it was great, but this. there was an age problem. There was a look problem. A look there problem. Was, yeah. So, Getting the real deal Holyfield that you got yeah. from this director, did it embolden you? Did it make you for a second want to fucking give up? No. Did it make for me, you... it was more like – for me, now I've educated. Right. Now I've educated and hopefully for your next thing, you won't be true, but you'll just – you'll realize everyone should be equal. You shouldn't have a preconceived notion unless you're doing Martin Luther King Jr. or Frida Pinto – or not Frida Pinto, uh, Frida the, – the artist, Frida. It's like those you cast – Right. You know, you're not going to cast a white guy or a Hispanic guy to play Martin Luther King Jr. By all means. I mean, if the character is black, cast it black. 
if that's what it's written and you had envisioned in your mind when you wrote it, great. But this character had no reason to be any ethnicity. He could have been anything. So why not not have a vision in your head and just say and 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 wipe out half of the people auditioning for you uh, because you wanted to be a white guy and miss out on someone great, whether or not I was the best. I, I don't care if if the person who booked it booked it over me because he's the best for the part. I care that I just wanted a fair shot. Keep the net wide open. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, then the director, you know, like he thought about it and he talked about it and we had a good conversation about it. And I was like, again, like <laughs> you do you. I don't right. care. But I just want you to realize I wanted him to know having heard that I was desperate in his eyes. I was like, I want you to realize why I'm that way. Well, it sounds as though you were willing to have the conversation as sort of a representative for people that will never get to meet that director. Absolutely. And the guys coming up who are like you and different, but struggle with similar sort of uh, challenges. Right. That you, I mean, who else is going to be the voice in the ear of, of a director who's probably doesn't get that experience often. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Now, what do you think about, I mean, we're sort of living in this, this ever changing time and, this real deluge of the old bullshit and, yeah. and there's such a diversity initiative and in entertainment and, yeah. and, and not entertainment alone in so many different areas. And yeah. like, do you find as though things are getting better that there's, that we're making a change it's for getting, the better? It's, get, it's, it's, it's getting better, but I think we've leaned too far to the left. Um, and I don't mean that in any political sense. I'm just saying that as a direction. We have leaned so far that people are forcing diversity, hmm. which is great. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's make that diversity hire a thing, or not diversity hire, but like let's hire diversity and women as well. But I don't want to be given a part if I'm not the best for it. I feel like it's for me. I want to I want to make sure that everyone has an equal. I'm an equalist. I want everyone to have an equal opportunity. Well, it's an uncomfortable time. I mean, uh, and, 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 and it's great. Yeah, all change is inherently uncomfortable, right? Because we're Absolutely. deviating from the norms. And, we're and deviating from is, what we're used to. It's great. And and my little brother, seven year old, he's an actor as well, and he does well. But for him, there's no there's no question about ethnicities or anything like that. In our in in people's minds, when they write children now, they write children completely open ended colorblind and i think it's great so with his generation growing up it'll grow with him for our generation it'll still be uh, it'll get a little bit better but we'll just have to wait until time changes a little bit which is which is uh, it's great but also at the same time you know you hope things change and you hope things move forward and they are moving forward which is great but it is it is a thing that it's like why didn't happen in the past well i mean you know it's i heard obama Talk about this, you know, President Obama. President Obama, because you know, no big deal. Um, he, you know, he mentioned Drake and Josh once. What? Yeah, he was doing a speech, and he was like, um, "Folks, I know what the kids like. They like SpongeBob. They like Josh and Drake." I was like, "Oh my god!" And he said my name he first. Said your name first. And I was like, "Cause oh it kind of has a ring to it." Has Oprah ever mentioned Drake and Josh? No, dare to dream. <laughs> but and I heard him say, you know, that is unfortunately the 
with change and government especially, but he's like, things move at such a snail's pace, and yet inevitably, much like a ship, if you are to alter the course, even a degree to the left or to the right, over time, yeah. you're in a completely different space. And I think about like my mom and our parents, yeah. sort of their generation was dealing with segregation Absolutely. and and the rights of all people. And to me, I feel like for our generation, it's been so much embracing sexuality and, yes. and, and different gender types and sort of the way that people want to, um, be, be I, what's the word? It's basically the way that pe- people want to be represented yeah, in absolutely. the world. And, you know, and I hope that when I have kids, it will never be a question to them that, that no, gay absolutely. people would be married or not. Like, it'll exactly. just be second just, nature. Absolutely. But if you think only 30, 40 years ago, there was, was there were separate bathrooms. There was, yeah. you know, for, for... For Hispanics, blacks, and everyone. Yeah, I mean, and this Any was... yeah. And so I hope that for our kids, the things that plague us now and the things that we talk will about now be, yeah. will seem ridiculous. Absolutely. We'll say, well, of course and it's it, this way. Yeah, of course it's this way. Right. It definitely will be that as soon as the older generations die out with their mentality because their kids are more open and then their kids are going to be a little bit more open and it'll just slowly die out a little bit. Yeah. And um, it wasn't it wasn't 30, 40 years. It was like more like 50, 60 years ago with the separate bathrooms. But I mean, I just can't wait to see that tweet. Like, hey, fucking idiot. Hey, like, fucking idiot. Like, I'm okay. correcting myself. I'm not perfect. I got, I, got, I got two questions. One, how do you feel with it? Like growing Hispanic movements, growing like Me Too and, 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 and color casting and diversity hires and things like that. Being a white person, meaning there's going to be probably less roles for you. It, this is like, uh, you know, it's funny, right? Because as someone in my position, it feels we're, I think we're very um, hesitant to speak on anything because it feels as though you can never say the right thing. As a, as a white but, person, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I truly want to hear your point My honest view. opinion is that it's long in coming and that I think it's a really good thing and that in the immediate, there's some discomfort for, I know, friends of mine who look like me, who are actors, who right. are having a challenging time getting a role and... Perhaps it's, you know, between that and being able to pay the rent next month. And so why I hate for my friends to have temporary discomfort. It's much, it's much the same that people of different ethnicities have been feeling for the last 70 years. Right, exactly. And do I feel like the the scales have swung completely over to one side and they will find a balance? Yeah. And sometimes you need to do that. Absolutely. You really need to sort of... um, I feel like, you know, that kind of what happened with uh, with Obama. It's like everyone, it swung one way, and then people swung far to the right with, with Trump and everything, and now it's going to swing far to the left, and hopefully, instead of coming back extremely far to the right, we'll just be able to find that balance. Yeah, I just, to me, the everything that's going on right now in the diversity initiative has been long in coming, yeah. and I think that... For better or for worse, you know, I've had a privileged existence in ways that I haven't even been aware of. Right. And that there might be some temporary discomfort for me or other people that look like me in this business because it is harder to get a role. Inevitably, I find that the roles and the art will be supported by the people, as you said, who are best suited for it. Right, and, exactly. And that we would only we would only become hip to this, as you said, with your experience with the director. Because inevitably, I don't think it's personal. I think in creative endeavors, we project our own existence. Absolutely. So we're more in, you know. Trying to cast yourself or things like that. People that look like you and people. Which is fine. But 
but that's by, why you need ethnic directors and things for them to have that point of view and cast themselves that way. Right. And I think that sometimes it's much like in good parenting, you have to try things despite your better thinking yes. or despite what you're comfortable with. Cause only then can you be exposed to something that you never expected. Right. And it reveals itself to be this really cool, great thing with all these extra levels. Absolutely. I, I was listening to David Oyelowo on Oyelowo. who's like, you know, a master. Yeah. So talented. And he was saying on, on Marin's podcast, he was like, I, I don't want to go out for roles just for African-American people. I want to go out for yeah. Ryan Gosling's roles. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, because I know I can play these roles that are written for people like oh, me, exactly. you know, in quotes, but I want to be able to take that typical leading man part that might not think of someone like me. It. Yeah. Yeah. And add all the levels to it that someone perhaps couldn't if they were, you know, Ryan the typical Gosling. choice. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's, I think that's dope. And I love Ryan Gosling and I think I he's super Ryan handsome. Gosling. No, I know. I <laughs> but see, I, I, I'm and I'd like to kiss him. him. What? You and me both. What? 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 I think we can end this podcast both agreeing that we want to make out with Ryan Gosling. Yeah. I'm okay with that. And I think my wife would understand and support it and then ask to go second. Like Ryan Gosling. My wife does look like a female Ryan Gosling. Like, you hear like that, Paige? Tall. Yeah. Canadian. Um, Canadian? Oh, no, my she's my not name. Canadian. Oh, she's, I mean, she's nice, but she's not that nice. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want anyone that nice. I love that. Like, that's going to be the one incendiary thing that comes out of this interview. It's like we talk about politics and all these yeah. things. And they're going to be like, the headline is, Josh Peck Thanks overly so generalizes Canada. So Says the Canadians are nice. What's that a boot? What's that a boot? Yeah. Um, What's a boot about nothing? Tony Revolori, I love you. Thank love you, you. Too, buddy. This is a great talk. Bon. Wow. What an episode. Right? Right? I think right. I mean, who saw that coming, you know? Such a, what a journey this conversation goes on because at first you as a listener you're like all right listen to these two rabble rousers <laughs> these two knuckleheads chopping it up giving it back and forth to each other good old young rhetoric and then it gets in a career and backstory and you know you're really now you're digging in and then all of a sudden it goes to the current politics and the movie business and and the world and you're like well i didn't know i was i didn't know i was about to get some brain bombs you know what i mean i didn't know i was about to expand my thinking and see life in a completely different way you know i didn't know i was going to get hit with a with a truth missile right to my frontal lobe but but wow i want to thank you guys for that and here, listen, I, as a representative of, of the show Curious, as the head of HR for the Curious podcast, I can officially say thank you, and you're welcome, both. It's a service that it's part of our mission here at Curious to, to keep you laughing, keep you happy, help you on your commute, your gym, your, your just, you know, your, your daily comings and goings. But we are here to make your life just a little bit better. And if we can inform you while we do it, well, hey, I guess that is just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful byproduct of what we do here at Curious. So we want to thank you for tuning in. 
And please tune in every Tuesday at three in, three in the morning. I think they drop the episodes at three in the morning. I don't don't quote me on that. I'm asleep. Anyway, love you guys. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Okay, bye.